0: Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more, more meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hey, hey, how are you all? This is Danielle Delamar and you're listening to episode 74. Thanks for being here. How's it going? It is August 1st. August 1st. Can you believe it's that late? What is happening? Semester's about to start. I know some of you are probably freaking out about that. <laughs> um so I had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Suchitra Shinoi-Packer on today's interview and what resonated with me was really about her practice of psychological flexibility. I just saw her being so flexible in the way she thought about work, in the way she thought about career, in the way she's willing to adapt and envision new things and turn left and then turn right and then swerve around over here, right? Like it was just such a fun conversation because it left me with this feeling of openness and creativity and a willingness to adapt and move flexibly and without being sort of hindered by constraints like psychological constraints and that mindset just feels so so full of possibility because who wants to be stuck thinking they have to do the same thing or walk the same path they began when they were in their 20s right who wants to feel like they can't imagine new career possibilities who wants to believe their career quote-unquote adventures are over now and who wants to sacrifice their family life so that they can succeed in a career? When you think in this ultra rigid way, in this way that makes you feel stuck and unable to move, it's not a good feeling. I mean, you can feel it in your body. You can feel the tension in your body when you think that way. And so to challenge yourself to think of your career in a nonlinear way which is what Suchitra explains that she challenges herself to do. You eliminate all this self-pressure when you think this way. And you open yourself to try on new things, do new things. You open yourself to grow and find greater fulfillment in your life. And it's scary and it's hard and you don't always want to do it. You don't always want to walk that path. But if you have the courage to do it, you don't get weighed down by your career. So this is the message that I got from this interview. It felt light and airy and free and playful and creative. Check it out. Here's Suchitra now. So glad you're joining the conversation today. I'm talking to Dr. Suchitra Shinoi Packer, stay-at-home mom, artist and working on her licensure for elementary school teaching. I just found that out uh, last week when you told me
1: Suchitra. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing?
0: I'm well. I, we just it's funny cuz we just talked about <laughs> this before the recording you asked me how I was doing and I was like, you know, this pandemic is driving me crazy. Um and uh then we had this conversation about how like we'd like to have like real like um answers when we ask how are you, because we always say, "Oh, well, and I noticed just right as soon as the recording went on, we were both like, "Well, we're doing well <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, anyway, that's funny. because it's mostly also about how other people want perceive your how you're doing, you know whether they really care, whether people really care about how you're doing or they're just making conversation, and how you're doing is a very polite, very perfectly socially acceptable way of starting conversations
0: exactly and then we don't necessarily most of us don't necessarily care to know the answer just just say fine just say fine <laughs> and move on <laughs> yes um so anyway um we are we were just having a little chat and i got to say that um suchitra and i'm telling listeners this um She is somebody that my husband has been telling me I needed to have on the podcast for a very long time, and so he'll just drop it in conversation every once in a while, and then. never like connects us. <laughs> and so I've just been hearing about you forever. Um, and then I finally was like, okay, well, can you actually like connect us so that I can have her on the, on the podcast? <laughs> um, and so we finally connected. Um, and I'm so very grateful to have connected because when we talked last week, I was super excited about your career journey because it's unique and interesting and In my mind, based on the stuff that you said, it sounds like you've really been following your heart um, since leaving academia. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, Tell me where I'm wrong. Do you think that that's
1: true? Yes and no. I mean, following my heart in the sense that when I resigned from my job as an assistant professor, I was following my heart in a way because I was following my husband to his career. In uh, moving all the way from Chicago to California. And I was not going to have a long distance relationship. So the only logical decision for me to make at that time was to resign and move with my son um, and with my daughter, with whom I was pregnant at the time. Hmm. So it was an extremely hard and at the same time, um simple decision, if you know what I mean, because I knew I had to do this. My mind said I had to, because that made most sense. But my heart mm. cried itself out when I was typing my resignation letter. Because mm. um whether as a woman of color or whether as an immigrant, so much of who I am, who I was in the United States, my identity was so embedded into what I was that in anticipation of that loss of professional identity, my tears just (laughs) were uncontrollable. And yet, you know, the logical side of me said, you're making the right decision for your family. And eventually that's what matters. Um, So despite those challenges, I'm really glad I made that decision. So to answer your question, I guess, yes and no, like I said, um, partly to follow my heart, because my heart was with my and is with my husband and kids, um, and no, because in doing so, I was leaving a heart, a professional part of my heart,
0: behind, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. to
1: say. So, and up until then, it had been a very linear career path. So I didn't know what to expect going forth. So I, that was just a very long answer to your question.
0: <laughs> no, it was it was perfect, and I actually want to know about the the professional identity thing and how you sort of had to, uh, the work you had to do to unravel that and how you talk about like your your heart is just crying as you're writing your resignation letter. I, I know that you have um, a research background in meaning of work. I think that's what you say. Those of you who do, you know, organizational communication, is it meaning of work? Is that sort of the The sub area or the topic. And I'm wondering, did that sort of area of research help you to um, manage some of the challenges, the emotional challenges um, that were wrapped up in all this?
1: Absolutely. And I would have to say it's meanings of work because there is no Ah. meaning with an uppercase M definition of meaning because it's very subjective. Um, So meanings of work. Uh, So primarily towards the end of my tenure at uh, my previous university, I was really focused on meanings of work. In fact, the last book I published, I was a co-edited work based on immigrants and meanings of work. So yes, in terms of making sense of my professional loss of identity, that certainly helped because one thing I learned through understanding the research of meanings of work was not only, like I said, that it's subjective, but that it can be recreated every time depending on what your station in life is and what Mm. you anticipate from getting out of life at that different point, at the different stages of your life. So for me, I just had to completely reassess what I wanted out of life. So more of the meanings of life for me, Mm-hmm. And then what did I really consider my identity to be? Yes, the struggle with what am I, who am I without a professor, without being a professor. Yes, that was definitely a big, big question. But then I had to um, prioritize my other identities because my baby girl was just being born and uh, my son was a toddler. So my energies were being pushed towards other things that I previously didn't have to think about so much because I had a very privileged, cozy life back in Chicago. I had a nanny who would come in to take care of my son 30 hours a week. My husband worked from home. You know, as a professor, you have flexible work hours. So life was pretty cozy. (laughs) And so taken from that to having to build a life where I was a full-time stay-at-home mom was really, really challenging. And to tell you the truth, I really, even though I had done research and I talked about the feminist views of being a stay-at-home mom and how that is also real work, those are also real jobs, in coming face-to-face with that experience myself, I realized that I had underestimated the sheer amount of work and respect that I have for stay-at-home moms. Mm. so I was tremendously humbled by uh by real once I realized that the work of a stay-at-home mom never ends. Now granted I have a very supportive husband but despite that my own role <laughs> was uh, doubled because I was um raising two kids by myself most of the time because my husband had to go to work in California he had to physically be at an office So I was home with the kids um, and I'd started uh, blogging as well at that time. So in terms of making meaning of what I was or where I was, that's one thing I started to do to make more sense of what I am, to sort of help myself understand what was happening to my life. Mm. So blogging became a source for drawing meaning from my work at the time.
0: Actually, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking um you have blogged you have done your work as an artist you're now working toward elementary school education and um for me that strikes me as <laughs> incredibly flexible of you <laughs> um right like i'm going to do this because this is what sort of meets my stage of life and and what um what helps me to prioritize whatever it is I need to prioritize at this time in my life. Um, That's how I hear it. And that's what I see when you're when you describe that. Um, I imagine it's much messier than that. But do you want to speak to that a bit?
1: I challenge myself, not wanting to think of my career as a linear path right now. I'm drawing a term from My research, not my individual research, but from the career research, um, I see myself in a kaleidoscopic career. We know how you turn the tube and you see different patterns emerge. I think that goes well with what you've been talking about, uh, what you mentioned about being flexible. And one thing I've always known about myself is that I'm a lifelong learner. And I think that knowledge of myself really helped me um, throughout this. Uh, journey and there I go using a different metaphor (laughs) Uh, but it really helped because when I was blogging I was blogging about my life as a stay-at-home mom and my professional identity crises and uh, living managing two kids on my own and then eventually as the kids got older uh and not by older, I mean, you know, three and one and four and two. Um, <laughs> still I, very
0: little, yes. Yeah. Still
1: very little. I launched a website called theparentvoice.com for families like mine that are multiracial, multicultural, multiethnic, multireligious, multi-religious, you know, add all the multis in there. I've worked on it really hard for three years, and then it's been a little slow right now. Um, I haven't updated it in a while, but hopefully one day I'll get back to it. Uh, meanwhile, I also started getting into art. I discovered an art form that really worked for me called mandala art, mandala dot painting. So that's what I do now. I have a small business. I do vendor events at different uh, festivals throughout the town, um, at different you know, for Christmas, fall festivals, Thanksgiving festivals, summer festivals, spring, etc. So that's that's been on the side, and then. Um, I homeschooled my son last academic year. He's in first grade going into second. Um, We started homeschooling for the first time for COVID reasons because I didn't want to send him back to school. And that made me think that maybe I could do this at a professional level. And so because I already have degrees, I need to still get, I need to get my uh, teaching licensure. So I wanted to do that. And so I decided to pursue that. I had my first course this summer. And I'll be taking a couple of classes in, uh, in the fall. And so I have a whole bunch of classes. I've applied for teaching positions. So, you know, from a college professor to an elementary school teacher, it's been going with the flow of um, whatever inspires me at that stage in life. And wow. um, I, I really think the important thing, like you said, what is to be flexible and, uh not box ourselves into any one identity so much so that thinking anything outside of it becomes debilitating. So it was very, very liberating for me to be able to do all these things. Now, when uh, we left Chicago, I was really upset at my husband. Not that he said I had to resign. He he said it should be my decision, and it was entirely my decision. So he is not to be blamed at all for my decision to resign. But at the same time, I said, well, if it wasn't for your job, we wouldn't have moved. I wouldn't have had to resign. Uh, but what I've never done, and I only recently did, was thank him for that because it became... Wow. Uh, Yeah, because for me, it became an opportunity to sort of delve deeper into what I really wanted to do with my life. And then because of his job, I was given the gift of tapping into whatever I wanted to do. And uh, that's really helped. So if I want to just spend a whole afternoon sitting and reading a book, well, I can do that when my kids are in school. Mm -hmm. If I just want to sit and watch a TV show and stay on the couch eating potato chips, I can totally do that too. <laughs> I mean, I don't, but I could do that. Um, so I never really thanked him for affording me the luxury and the privilege of engaging myself in all these other activities, like art or becoming an ele- or wanting to become an elementary school teacher. Which had we continued to stay in Chicago, I would have continued to follow that linear path of an associate professor and then a professor and then continued on on that path. And while that might have been fulfilling in its own way, I would never have learned what else I'm capable of.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the more years I would have been in academia, the more the fear would have gripped me thinking this is all I can do. There's nothing I can do beyond being a professor, a researcher, a, good university citizen, what else am I capable of? Well, now I have an idea of what else I am capable of. So wow. it's, it's really been a good lesson um, in sort of self-discovery. So in the end, I'm really grateful that whatever happened, happened.
0: Wow. That's so great and so cool. And what an <laughs> interesting way to frame it. And so have you... Um, Have you ever wanted to go back to academia? Um, Do you still feel like you want to? Or are you just kind of like, yeah, that was fun, but it's over?
1: No, yes, yes, I absolutely do. Um, I would love to get back, but not on a full-time basis. I think I would love the opportunity to teach because I enjoyed that a lot. And the interactions with students, the mentoring relationships, Those were some of the best times um, personally and professionally for me as an educator. So I would love to go back as an adjunct so I can still continue doing that. One of the biggest disappointments I faced after I left academia was no longer having access to uh, peer-reviewed journal articles and research databases. So even if I wanted to do research on my own, it was, uh, you know, not as um, feasible to do that anymore. So if I were to get back into academia, it would be for the reasons of access to a world class library or, you know, (laughs) excellent research databases and for teaching um, service part while I enjoyed what I did. I could do without that.
0: (laughs) Okay, so now I got to ask, I'm thinking about what you talked about with this like kaleidoscopic career. (laughs) Um, And I'm wondering, what else have you thought about? What else do you want to try? So you're like, oh, I'd like to get back part time into academia. I'd like to be an elementary school teacher. Um, And and I know you are an artist. And do you want to do... um, do you want to stay in art and do you want to try new things in art? Like, I'm just wondering, what are all the things you've thought about and do you want to try in the future?
1: Oh gosh, there are so many things. I would love to own an actual uh, brick and mortar business, uh, like a small business where I uh, sell and display not only my work, but work made by other handmade artists. So it's sort of a all year round event where people can come and shop locally home uh, homemade handmade items so I'd like love to have that like a physical store Um, I'd love to get more into watercolors I've been dabbling with that I'm not very good but I'd love to get better at it so I'm taking some classes online for that Um, I've considered going back to business school nursing school So, you know, on one hand, it sounds like, oh, wow, she's interested in so many things. On the other hand, it seems I can't figure out what she wants. Um, (laughs) I just feel like this, you know, life, there's so much to learn. And the more I learn, the more I want to learn even more. Um, So I've always kind of, you know, awkwardly loved the philosophy of jack of all trades. Um, So even if you're not a master of any one, you have a good, as long as you have a good educated or uh, informed knowledge about many different fields, I think you're okay.
0: (laughs) I love this. So I think about um, having space for yourself. Like this is something I preach about all the time. Like it's Mm -hmm. so important to have sort of um, um, a, a sabbatical type mindset where you're always sort of in a place where you're kind of resting in the moment and Um, you're always sort of be allowing yourself to be pulled to different things and you're not like, you know, rigidly holding on to anything. And so I'm wondering, as I say all of that, um, do you attribute that space that you have been afforded as you talk about, like, you know, when your kids are at school and you said, I could sit on the couch and eat potato chips if I wanted to, (laughs) um, like, do you attribute that having that kind of space um to your your uh, sort of creative way of going about your work and and uh, sort of allowing yourself to be pulled in directions that feel good and inspiring to you
1: what has enabled me to do whatever i choose to do or you know delve into this awesome journey of self discovery is the acknowledgement that i come from a very privileged place and we tend to forget that you know i'm talking about choices and agency mm. able to do that because knock on wood my husband has a good stable job we are in a nice little town with wonderful neighbors and we have a good home in a good neighborhood in a good school district and we are financially comfortable. We are by no means rich, but we are comfortable where we can afford to send um, our kids. We go to the public school, but we can afford to send them to our public school and participate in different activities, co-curricular, extracurricular activities. And that I can say, oh, I want to do a program in elementary education. So and my husband says, all right, and then I go for it. Or I want to um, have an event at my local farmer's market selling my art, and we are like, okay, let's do it. So, I think having those foundations, which not very many people do, mm-hmm. and I want to acknowledge that that's a huge part of what I'm talking about, that had it not been for that comfort or understanding that, should I fail at my art. "Quote unquote business, or should I fail my licensure exam? I still have a home to go to. I have, mm-hmm. um, I, ha- I I, you know, I don't lose anything by not taking those risks of a new career or venturing in art. So failure becomes an option. You know, not mm-hmm. that I'm setting myself up for it. Obviously, I want to succeed and do very well in everything I do, and I work very hard." Um, whether it's at school or my art, I spend hours and days, and you know, I study hard, I work hard, I art hard. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. not to take anything away from my own sense of discipline and my hard work, but at the same time, knowing that should those things not work out, I'm okay. I'll be okay. I'm secure. Mm-hmm. I think that gives me the confidence. Also, so to answer your question, yes, uh, having that space, being able to do what I want, is extremely Wonderful, but, and I'll be remiss not to acknowledge the wonderfully privileged life that I have uh, around me, the comfort Mm -hmm. that I have around me. And I think that that pushes me to do more than I want. And I keep, uh, and it keeps uh, pushing me to achieve bigger things, take bigger risks, because I know failure can be an option, which I know is not for a lot of people.
0: In terms of like, Failure is an option for you. So if failure is an option for you, um, can you see yourself getting licensed as a teacher, going in, doing some elementary school teaching, not liking it, quitting and feeling okay with that? Or is it, do you have a commitment to that? I, I'm just kind of curious to gauge like what your commitment level to this sort of new
1: career path. Um, is? Excellent question. Absolutely. Once I start something, I don't quit. (laughs) Even though I said failure is an option, I just meant it in a grander scheme of things. Uh, If I were to fail, then it wouldn't hurt my life drastically. But once I get my license and I'm an elementary school teacher, I am dedicated to that effort. And teaching those kids, my kids, will be a responsibility I will take extremely seriously. And, you know, just because I may think this is an option for me doesn't mean it is for the students I teach. So I would not ever want to do a disservice to the students I teach because of my lack of commitment. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. And that's a great question because it helps me set the record straight that I'm not talking about failure being an option, meaning that I'm going to be a bad teacher or a bad artist. It just meant that in the grander scheme of things, that should I not succeed at something, then I have other uh, options. Um, so I hope oh, that answers the okay. question. I hope people no, don't, don't think that I'm going to do a shoddy job and then get out of it just because I don't like it. So that that is not going to happen. <laughs> got it.
0: Got it. Okay. And so then I've got to know because you said, oh, I think I could, I, I think I do miss academia and there are certain things about it that I miss. And I'm wondering that sort of mentoring work, the teaching work, are you finding um, the work you're starting to do in elementary school teaching as um, fulfilling some of those needs that you have um, that academia used to provide for you?
1: I think so. And I think I can do make a contribution at a very younger, very young stage and you know, sort of catch them when they're young and uh. and sort of help them, inspire students, help uh, inspire kids, um, make a difference at an early stage. Because I've seen kids when they come into the college, undergrad, graduate level, where sometimes it might be just too late to do anything Um, uh, But I've always enjoyed the company of kids. I enjoy uh, being in the company of kids, mine as well as others kids. Um, So I think I have I know I have a natural talent to interact with students and teach will teach. Um, It's just going to be teaching at a very different level. And all the mentoring and modeling will happen at a very, very different level. Uh, but I think in terms of meanings of work, coming back to that topic, the sense of uh, meaning that I would derive from that work where I'm talking to students will I help them read, teach them how to write. You know, those are things that are going to be extremely satisfying to me. And uh, yeah, to go back to your question, absolutely meet the needs of uh, what I would have missed out as a college instructor.
0: Okay. And so do you have, um, I I guess I'm wondering, and I'm wondering this for listeners too, because a lot of listeners um, are in career crisis and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what to do. And um, I think your description of like, had I stayed in academia and only seen this one path and gotten really good at this one path and then not being able to see Um, myself as competent in any other way is like a really good way to describe many of the listeners. Um, And so um, they have a lot of fears. They have a lot of concerns about making a career pivot. Um, They don't know if they can do it. They don't have a whole lot of faith. Could you talk about your own fears or your own concerns at walking into elementary teaching, if you have them? I would imagine
1: you do. Yeah, I mean, I I think I briefly touched on this earlier. Uh, My biggest fear is not being um, deserving of my students. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I don't have any elementary school teaching experience. I did not go to elementary school in the United States. And so a lot of it will be taken care of when I do my student teaching. So in a way, you know, once you do your internship, you kind of in that situation so you know what to expect uh, but my biggest fear is disappointing my students mm. um, especially at that young age college kids you know they move on they don't like one class they move on not to say that I would ever want to do that to college kids but, uh, <laughs> but the younger younger kids um, they're so much more vulnerable they're in such a different place um so i think if anything that would be my concern of not being a good enough teacher for meeting their needs mm. um, okay yeah yeah
0: and so i wonder what do you tell yourself to get past that fear because i just heard today that that um that saying that like everything you want is on the other side of your fear
1: my ability to accept challenges with just the confidence that I can deal with it. And it's always been like that. Um, I went to Japan as a 17-year-old and I lived there for a year with host families. Nobody in my family or friend circle or relatives or anybody I'd known had ever done that. But I did that and I loved it. Coming to America when when I was 20 years old, um, I've been here 22 years now. You know, that was scary. Um, starting a doctoral program all by myself. Um, I mean, others do that too. But for me, it's been, you know, it's it's a new challenge and I can do it. I think just having this personality where I don't let challenges bog me down. Rather, I sort of <laughs> grow a pair of wings and uh, I I plunge into it head on. Um, I think that's always been my um, saving grace, if you will, where I I accept things and I uh, learn to um, experience them the way they should and then accept those challenges head on. Um, But the other thing also is that I'm hoping my training and my education Um, The program that I'm in, the teaching program will prepare me to take on this new challenge, just like my doctoral program prepared me to become a professor. Um, So, you know, I have faith in the institutions of education uh, that are training Mm -hmm. me and the internship that I'll have. Um, I you know, at some point you just gotta trust the professionals that they know what they're doing and they're gonna train you accordingly and that you're gonna be able to do a great job on the first day. So this fear of not living up to my own expectations is all internal. Um, you know, it's it's not someone saying that. It's just me constantly being a perfectionist and wanting to be perfect or near perfect totally. at whatever I do. <laughs>
0: Yes, I hear that. I totally hear that. And I got to say, this is a theme that has come up over and over and over again, this sort of mm. self-confidence. Um, one of uh, Dr. Kathy Mazak, her, um, her, the title of her episode that I had uh, a couple months ago was self-trust. Um, mm. And I had uh, Dr. Malik Boykin talked about self-authorization, authorizing mm. himself to do things um, that that he didn't maybe necessarily feel like he could, but like looking himself in the mirror and saying, no, you're going to do this and I'm going to give you the authority to do this. And so Mm. um, I guess I just want you to know that um, I'm hearing this over and over again um, with Mm. people's career journeys. Um, Wonderful. And uh, so there's that. And now I want to ask you sort of my second to last question, which is what do you What would you like to say to complete this conversation? Is there anything that we haven't covered or that you'd like to just put out there that you haven't gotten an opportunity yet to do?
1: Yes. And I want to say that my kids are my biggest inspiration. Mm. Everything I do is for them and because of them. Even starting the parent voice was inspired by my own kids' lives. Um, They're half Indian, but the other half is very mixed and um, taking on elementary school teaching it's because my kids are going to be in elementary school and so i want to be there with them may not be teaching in the same school but i want to be with them in their journeys through that so i can relate to them so i can understand where they're coming from and i think this is especially important for me because neither my husband nor i went to school here Uh, my husband did his schooling he's from canada so he did everything in canada And I did everything in India. So for us, uh, I'd sort of be the boots on the ground, if you will, so I can be with them, relate to them, be part of the experience uh, more directly growing up. Um, And also because I want my kids to see that work comes in so many different shapes or forms. So whether I'm working on my blog, my website, whether I'm sitting in my home studio and painting, that is work. So Mm -hmm. even when I'm sitting and recording a video for my Read Aloud YouTube channel, I'm still working so the kids know that this is mommy's work time. So I want them to know that just going into an office physically is not just work. Daddy's work from home, that is not an only definition of work. Mommy going to different uh, vendor events and selling her art, that is also work. Mommy working around the house is work. Mommy mowing the lawn is work. Um, You know, so I want them to grow up with this notion that work has to be respected and dignified no matter what you do, because there's so much of love, effort, and goodwill in what you do. So I think my kids being my biggest inspiration helps me keep going. Going back to your previous questions about, um, you know, what makes me do things that I'm doing. And where the confidence comes from, it's from that fact, because I see who's looking back at me when I'm looking at the mirror. I see my kids looking back at me.
0: And right. I want them
1: to know that if mommy can do it at 42, they can definitely do at whatever age they choose to be. And it's never too late to switch careers. Um, and, you know, just, just sort of continue to understand that work comes in various Work has various meanings and the interpretation depends on you and what you want to draw out of it. So absolutely, my kids being my biggest inspiration for everything I do is a pivotal uh, point of my life.
0: Wow, what a beautiful way to end this. Would you give us sort of a way to contact you so that if people are sort of inspired by your story and want to talk more about it or seek advice from you, they could?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you can share my email.
0: Thank you so much, Suchitra.
1: You're welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle S.C. Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.